Welcome to the RSA Events Podcast, the home of world-changing ideas and debate. Good evening, everyone. I'm Josie Borden, and I'm Head of Regenerative Design at the RSA, and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to this evening's event. To mark Fashion Revolution Week, this event is taking place as part of Fashion Revolutions Week's Open Fashion Studio Programme, which highlights the, and showcases the designers and initiatives that are changing the fashion industry for the better. So if those of you watching along would like to join in the conversation, then you're welcome to do so on Twitter using the hashtag RSA Fashion or hashtag Fashion Open Studio or in our YouTube chat. I'm really delighted today to have the chance to talk to Patrick Grant and Rob Greenland, who are joining us to discuss how local makers and wearers can play their role in changing uh, the fashion system we have for the better, and particularly why locally rooted action is really important for creating systemic change. So I'm going to briefly introduce them before we get started. So Patrick Grant is a designer and a judge on the BBC's Great British Sewing Bee. And in 2016, Patrick launched Community Clothing, a social enterprise selling equality and affordable clothing and creating good jobs in the UK. Patrick's joining us from his factory in Blackburn today, so we'll be finding a bit out a bit more about that in a second. And we're also joined by Rob Greenland, who is co-director of Zero Waste Leads a social enterprise aiming to help people reduce their waste and live more sustainable lives. So Rob has spent most of his career in social enterprise and in 2010 set up Social Business Brokers, which develops collaborative solutions to complex social challenges. And I'm really lucky to have been working with Rob over the last few months on the Leeds Fashion Futures programme, which has been exploring how to work with people in the city of Leeds to create a more sustainable future for the city in regards to fashion. So thank you so much both for joining us. Thank you for hosting. Really good to see you. Um, actually, I wonder, Patrick, if we could start with you. I know you're in the factory. Could you tell us a little bit more about Cooks and Clegg and Community Clothing and your your mission and, and the work that you're doing at the moment? Uh, yeah, I'd be delighted. Um, Cooks and Clegg um, began life as um, manufacturers of boot uppers and mill straps. They were leather couriers, which is the process that happens after tanning. Um, they moved into clothing in the 1930s and, and making, ma making flying helmets and uh, dispatch riders jerkins for the military. And they continued making for the military until 2009, um, when all the military clothing contracts went to firms that were manufacturing overseas. So um, they tried to reposition themselves into high-end garments, and, and they did that quite successfully. And today they have customers like... Nigel Caborn and um, Finisterre and Margaret Howell and Labour and Waite and Petro Co and others who are British manufacturers selling product predominantly in Britain and Japan, um, but all of whom want to have a Made in Britain label on their product. Um, in 2015, I got an email on a Sunday evening from the CEO of Cookson and Clegg, who actually used to sit in this office, uh, saying, that's it, we're closing the factory. Unfortunately, the parent company that owned Cookson's at the time, who are a big manufacturer of textiles, specifically for military and, and medical applications, had decided that they, they didn't see a future in UK manufacturing for the products they were making. Um, and so they decided to close it down. And, and, and so I emailed him back and said, look, you know, is there anything we can do about this? And he said, well, you know, so the following day we spoke and 
within a couple of months, we'd taken over Cookson and Clegg. And at the time, I was running Etorts, Norton and & Sons and, and Hammond and & Co. And fortunately, I had a little bit of money spare, which allowed us to take the factory over and absorb its losses for a few years. But it was clear that we needed to make some quite big changes to the way it, it operated. And it was clear to me also at the time that lots of other factories were in similar, similarly perilous positions with regards to their long-term future. And these are businesses that are incredibly important to, to the places where they are based. Uh, Blackburn is a textile town. It's, you know, its wealth was built on, on the textile industry. And we're one of the last textile businesses here. And I think it's not just about the money that goes in people's pockets and the money that flows into the local economy. It's also about a, a, a sense of um, a civic identity. It's about a source of pride in the community. It's a source of individual pride. There's lots of, there's lots tied up in our manufacturing businesses beyond just, you know, pounds and pennies. And I recognize that that was important, you know, not just here in Lancashire, where we have quite a few factories we work with now for community clothing, but also in places like the, you know, the Scottish borders, the East Midlands, where textiles dominated the, the kind of economic landscape. Also Leeds, Bradford, you know, the, the parts of uh, West Yorkshire where textiles, woolen textiles were absolutely dominant. Um, many of those communities have been pretty much ripped apart at the seams by the disappearance of large scale textile production in the UK. So I felt it was really important to try and do something that, that allowed those remaining businesses to, to, to stay in business and hopefully to try and find a way to allow them to start to grow again. And so at the same time, I thought, you know, there is, there is a real lack on the British High Street of really first rate quality clothing at an affordable price made using really good sustainable natural materials made ethically and all of the things that again i think many of us would now like to to ensure we we support with our clothing uh, choices but you know most of that really good quality clothing comes at a really hefty price or at least a fairly hefty price you know, the, the, the stores that when I was growing up 500 years ago would have been, uh, you know, in the mid 70s to mid 80s. You know, you could walk into you could walk down any high street and buy phenomenal quality clothing made really well, made out of really good stuff that would last a really good, you know, a really long time. I mean, most of the stuff that is currently doing the rounds in secondhand shops, charity shops, you know, vintage dealers. It's stuff that was made prior to the big changes that we've seen recently in clothing. You know, it was made out of made out of wool, made out of you know heavy duty cotton jersey. Really great stuff that would last for ages. Anyway, so I thought, where is this stuff? Where can we get it now? And the answer was pretty much nowhere. I mean, unless you are prepared to pay hefty designer prices. So I thought there's a big gap there. You know, there are factories desperate for work. There are people who'd really like to buy affordable everyday clothes. And, and, and it seemed really obvious just to try and marry the two up. And so the idea behind community clothing was really simple. We designed a range of really nice quality everyday clothes. We started by establishing what the price needed to be. We started by, you know, at, at the same time we said, right, we're only gonna be using really, really high quality raw materials, really good quality fabrics. How do we, how do we build a business model that allows us to sell that quality of stuff made in great UK factories 
and, and sell it affordably. And so that was the, the, the thinking behind community clothing was quite simple. We can, we can do away with loads of the normal costs involved in doing business. Obviously we can do away with the retail costs. We do it direct, uh, sell direct on the internet. We get rid of all the seasonal collections. So we only, you know, we design a product and we leave it alone. And, you know, we try and design the best version of every product we've got, but we don't change it from season to season. Um, we have a really stable supply chain that's local to us. That doesn't mean we have to be flitting around the globe trying to find cheaper and cheaper factories every season. Um, we work with our factories on a long-term basis. We give them orders that they can place in the quiet periods of their, of their calendar which means that their efficiencies go up, which means their costs come down, which means our costs come down. So there's loads that we thought about. Um, and, you know, and we, and, we, and we thought, well, you know, if we make great quality clothing and we make it at a good price, and we know that people really want to support British manufacturers and high quality goods, then we thought, well, we probably don't need to spend that much money on marketing because the product should speak for itself. Should speak for itself. And that's exactly what we've done. So we cut out probably 60 to 70% of the normal cost involved in running a clothing business by, by our really simple model. And that means that we can sell affordable stuff that's really good. And, and, and that's where it all started. And, you know, I feel like I've talked too long now, but, um, you know, we, we started it in 2016 and it has gone from strength to strength. And, you know, we've still got a long way to go, but you know, we're off to a good start. It's such an amazing and yeah, really inspiring story. I think from, uh, I want to pick up to Rob on, on your side, you've been working at, I guess, kind of the, almost the other end of um, the supply chain and seeing what happens when you're in a city and the amounts of waste that you get. Could you talk us a little bit through a little bit of the work about you, that you've been doing on fashion and, and the, the kind of perspective from the citizen side? So, I mean, so Zero Waste Leads is a project we set up in 2018 and we've been looking at a whole different range of kind of issues around waste and what we try to do is always focus on things that that are kind of practical and relevant to people's lives and hopefully get them kind of interested and then also obviously then kind of wasting a bit less and it kind of makes a lot of sense to, to look at clothing and fashion as, as as one of the themes and we started looking at it probably about 18 months ago now or something and it was basically when we we, we heard a, a stat from the council that suggested that 4,000 tonnes of clothing and textiles ends up in in householders kind of bins each year in in Leeds and we kind of we broke that figure down a little bit and it it, it kind of equates to about 12 kilos per household in Leeds and and, it, and it's it's quite a lot of of clothing and textiles and not all of that will be stuff that could be worn again but there'll be clothing within that um you know that could be either repaired or upcycled or or swapped or given away or or whatever so so we basically set up a zero waste fashion project. We just did a zero waste fashion week. I mean, it was literally two or three weeks, probably well a month after lockdown started last last year. So it was all it was all online. But basically, looking at all the different ways that that people could um, could waste less, which, as I say, you know, things like you know looking after your clothes better, um, kind of you know repairing them, using them, using charity shops again when they reopen looking at um, clothes swaps and all that kind of thing. Um, and basically just trying to work with people to, to help people see what they can do. Because I think one of the things, you know, one of the things I really like in, 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 with what Patrick's doing is that sometimes people feel quite powerless with this stuff, you know, that they, they know there's things wrong with, the, with 
the clothes, you know, the, the, the clothing system and they, they'd like to clothe themselves better, but they don't know what to do sometimes. Whereas we're just trying to give people a few kind of practical opportunities to kind of, to take control a little bit of, of, of their clothing choice, whether that be, you know, kind of maybe buying fewer things, but better things, you know, things that from community clothing suppliers or, or wherever, or looking to kind of look after your clothes a bit more. We just tried to, to kind of focus, focus on that. So we've been doing that probably 12 to 18 months. Now and then, as, as he said at the start, we, um, we've been working with the RSA on, on Leeds Fashion Future as well, kind of taking some of those themes and getting into them in a bit more detail. I think it's really interesting. I, mean, I think there are loads and loads of things that people can do that are really easy steps. I mean, the first thing, you know, is to realise just how much clothing just gets put in the bin. Um, you know, it's not that difficult to save your waste clothing and take it to a textile recycling bin. You know, there are lots of them around the place, but if you don't, and I think you guys do a, you guys do a map, which I remember seeing quite some time ago, yeah. of where you can go, but, you know, this is all, you know, all things that are free that, you know, that, that, that aren't going to, aren't going to cause you too much bother, but, you know, just simply not throwing clothes in the bin is a good start. And then, you know, then all the things that you can do after that, we've, we've been making, We've been making pieces for the eTorts catwalk show out of out of uh, out of clothing that we've had from 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 recycling clothing recycling bins. We've got a customer of ours um, at Norton and Sons. He runs a big clothing recycling business, and you know it's it it it. What staggered me, you know, I knew that we threw a lot of clothes away, but I when when we talked about throwing clothes away, I sort of thought we meant giving clothes to charity shops and putting them in recycling centres. What really staggered me was that sort of 70 or 80% of the clothes we throw away, we just literally chuck in the bin. Um, and the clothing that, that I got from him, you know, we asked him for, for jeans and for white shirts, for cotton jeans and for white cotton shirts. And he said, well, how much do you want? And I said, well, I don't know how much you got. And he said, well, I've got hundreds of tonnes of these things. So... Um, you know, it sort of staggered me, the amount of clothing. And this stuff arrived at the eTort studio in London. And almost all of the shirts were perfectly, perfectly wearable. Um, you know, some of them were a little bit discolored in the color, but we managed, what we did, we just salvaged the textile. We cut them all up at the seams and then we patchworked it together and then we laid it out and cut new things on it. But, you know, not everybody has the ability to do that, but, but, you know, I think there is so much that we can do that are things that I remember doing as a kid. I mean, jumble sales and swap shops. I mean, I, you know, the biggest show on TV when I was a kid was Noel Edmonds swap shop. I mean, swapping was normal. And we, you know, we, 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 we thought nothing of it. And all of that stuff just disappeared. And I think the biggest, you know, the, I think the, the big thing that we've all got to do, and I think you're, I'm, I'm probably jumping ahead, but, you know, what we're trying to do at Community Clothing is to make people find happiness in keeping their clothing for a longer time but by by deliberately not having seasonal collections we're saying the clothes you have are great you know if you love that t-shirt and the more you wear it the more you should love it and actually if you repair it that makes it makes it better you're sort of putting more more value into it by the time you've spent repairing it and you know again there's a sort of very big mindset change that i think is starting to happen amongst people that is really based around just being happier to have fewer clothes and to treat the clothes we have in a better way. And so, you know, I, I, I have been following what you've been doing, um, Rob, over, the, over, over time. And it, you know, it just strikes me that, that 
just by doing what you're doing, you're allowing people to feel better about not buying new clothes all the time. I think, you know, we are both in an, in, you know, we're both in part of the clothing industry, but well, you're in, 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 sort of in the clothing industry yeah. where we're kind of pushing against this giant machine that desperately wants to convince people that the way to be happy is to buy more stuff literally every week. You know, let's Monday night, six o'clock, let's, let's sell you more stuff. And, you know, many of them are, are going around doing some bits of sustainable stuff, but their message is still absolutely loud and clear. Buy more clothes all the time. And what we're trying to say is just don't do that. Just, just make a conscious decision to not buy so many clothes and, 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 and be happy with what you've got. So, sorry, I've probably jumped ahead of there. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good point. And, and I think there are, I, th I think one of the things, again, we, we can't talk about, you know, opportunities in the last 12 months. However, there are opportunities in terms of, you know, people's changes in people's behaviour around things like buying clothes. There will have been some people who've been buying loads and loads of clothes on kind of on, online, but loads of us who've kind of, our wardrobes have kind of, our wardrobes have shrunk and we've walked, probably worn the same stuff kind of nearly all the time, but maybe <laughs> thinking slightly differently about what are the clothes that we do we do need, but maybe, as I say, this thing of maybe buying fewer things, but better things and yeah. looking after them more, learning to re repair and things. So I think there is, there's definitely a, you know, we, we've even just, just in the, the you know, our, our kind of followers, we can see a kind of shift in people's thinking just over the last kind of 12 months of things. So I think there are, you know, there's, there's definitely positive, positive. Well, I think, I think, you know, there are, there are sometimes people that argue that, you know, all of the clothing industry generates an awful lot of income. It generates a lot of economic value. But I think it's, I think it's arguable that, you know, you could have a much smaller industry doing things in a much better way, making higher quality products out of higher quality raw materials that consume fewer of Earth's resources you know, still use use more human time, so therefore create more economic value that way. And you wouldn't sell as many, but each one that you sell is a slightly higher or or, or, or even a, a moderately higher price. You can still create the same amount of economic value whilst doing less damage. And you know, we can all we can all feel better about the purchases that we make because we know everybody down the chain is being treated well, everyone engaged in it is being paid fairly all the materials being sourced, you know, the problem that we've got with things like cotton, you know, the, the, the problems of the cotton industry are well documented. Um, but the big problem is not cotton itself. You need to grow cotton in a perfectly sustainable way. The problem is if you need to grow 25 trillion tonnes of cotton in a, you know, in a space that isn't just isn't designed for it, that's where you get the problems. And again, I think it's, it's, there are, there are so many opportunities for people to, 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 to make changes that don't, you know, that don't destroy economic value, won't, you know, won't, won't hinder our economic, at least, I mean, there's an argument that we don't need economic growth anyway, but it won't destroy our economy. And also that you then create opportunities for new parts of the economy. So, you know, repair cafes and swap shops and, uh, and upcyclers, people making clothes out of old stuff. That creates all sorts of new economic activity that might replace some of the, you know, if, I mean, we've seen a lot of retailers go out of business this year, uh, particularly in the clothing industry. You know, where do those people find work? Well, you know, you, you reshape, you reshape the, the job opportunities within the industry and, 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 and put the work where it's not going to do anything damaging. In fact, 
where it's actually kind of environmentally enhancing. I think what's really exciting about, I guess, both of your work is that it's coming, coming from that challenge from those different angles and thinking about how that works locally, like where people live, where people are working. Because I think we're so used to thinking of the industry as this, and it is, huge global machine. But actually, when you think about what, what difference can this make where I live to the people that are around me, to my communities, and you, you both... I mean, I know heritage has played a big role in both of the kind of the work that you've been doing. Mm. Um, how do you think we can kind of build on the um, the heritage of UK manufacturing as a kind of sense of pride, but also thinking about not kind of what it used to be, but maybe what it could be going forward? Um, well, I, you, I don't think I've spoken to you about this about this project, Josie, but uh, I think I mean it might it, it's probably something that you will find interesting. Um, I've been, you know, I've been, I've been engaged with a couple of different organizations over the last couple of years, uh, just following what they're doing and, and directly engaged with, with one of them. So, I, you know, I've, I've, I've um, done some work with the ladies behind Earth Logic, and, you know, obviously I've been following what Fibershed have been doing over, a, a, you know, a longer period of time. Um, and um, I mean, and, 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 and looking at this idea of how you reshape uh, an industry to create more local value and to create, you know, environmental, environmentally positive outcomes from an industry that's that's not in, in particularly good shape right now on, in that regard. Um, so we're doing a project this year in, in Blackburn where, uh, where we are taking a piece of, uh, a bit of disused scrubland in the town that the council owns and we're going to grow we're going to grow flax and woad, uh, and obviously from the flax we will we will extract the fibres and we will spin linen uh, yarn and we will make we will weave linen cloth and from the woad we will extract a natural indigo dye. So we will we will make the idea is that we're going to make some denim. So we're going to make natural indigo dyed linen denim. Um, original denims were linen and. Um, and, and then we're going to make it here in the town. And then the idea is that beyond that, we want to start to... So this year, we're just going to do a small pilot. Uh, we've got a couple of spaces where we'll, we'll grow. The idea is that the communities that live next to these spaces will be engaged with the, the growing, the planting. We're actually, we're actually due to plant next Friday, uh, plant our flax next Friday anyway. Um, it's got a 100-day growing cycle. Um, and then all of this, so, so we will we will we will get the community involved with 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 cultivating all of this. Um, we're also going to look at the, the you know the, the biodiversity value that we create and the regenerative agricultural soil benefits that we that we create. So we've got a couple of universities looking at that bit of it, uh, and then we want to get people involved with learning how to do you know, spinning and weaving on, a, on, on old machinery, but in parallel, we will be using very state-of-the-art machinery also, uh, because we'd like, you know, what we want to do is engage everybody in this activity, which we can do very simply by using old mechanical scutchers and breakers and hacklers and do it in a very, you know, 17th century, 16th century way. But we also need to look at doing it in the most advanced uh, way, because what we do want is, to hopefully demonstrate that you can create a sustainable local textile economy that is literally growing its own clothes. And um, 
you know, we there are there are obvious models where this where this works. If you look at the Harris Tweed industry, that is a similar thing. In the past, I'm not sure that it's exactly the case now, but in the past, all of the wool would have come from the Hebridean Islands. I think they get a bit from the mainland now, but the wool was locally grown, processed centrally, distributed out. So the yarn, the wool was scoured and, and cleaned and dyed and spun within one or three, actually used to be a number of central larger spinners it would then be woven in a distributed network of small weavers. It would then come back to be centrally finished um, and, and accredited. And then loads of people on the island would also be making things out of Harris Tweed that they would sell either internationally or sell to people who came to the island to visit, or they would use themselves. So, you know, it's not like this is a kind of fantasy project. There are existing textile communities doing this and we're hoping that we can demonstrate that it can be done on a kind of economically viable basis here. But also we just want to, you know, there are loads and loads of other benefits, you know, connectedness to nature, crafts, we know have a great role to play in improving people's physical and mental health, connectedness amongst the communities themselves, you know, they may be citizens that have been isolated because of the pandemic. And this is a great way to reconnect people with their neighbors and the broader community that they live with. So this is something that we're, we're hoping that we will run it over the next, well, three years. The plan is to do a pilot this year and to have hopefully, possibly a pair of jeans uh, that we make for the textile biennial, which is happening in Pennine, Lancashire in October of this year. Uh, and for the textile biennial that will happen in 2023, have a much larger scale, much more fully developed uh, version of the project that we can we can unveil then. But you know we want people to get involved in any way that they can. We've got a fantastic network of practitioners and uh, industry and academics. Um, if you guys wanted to get involved, we'd be delighted to have your input on all of this also. But, you know, we, we want people, we want to get people, we think it's just a great fun project for people here to get involved with, but it has, we hope, uh, you know, it will also, we also know that the more people are engaged with nature, the more their other behaviours turn towards environmentally friendly practices. I mean, there's lots of research that says the more you get people doing this, the more of this stuff they do. And then you have this kind of lovely um, sort of uh, catalytic effect on the way whole communities think about, you know, probably not just their clothing and their sustainability of their clothing, but all of their all of their waste and the way they treat all of that. I mean, hopefully we can collect all their compost and throw it on the lap. I mean, all this great stuff. <laughs> Um, yeah. But we also want to, you know, we want to try and uh, instigate the creation of things like, you know, Community Clothing had planned to do it last year anyway. We were going to start a repair cafe at our shop in Blackburn on a monthly basis. But, you know, we'd like to do a repair cafe one, one Saturday, a swap shop or a clothing exchange on a different Saturday, um, you know, run workshops that help people learn how to, you know, how to think differently about the, the clothes and textiles that they have in their homes. Yeah, it sounds super exciting. And I think it's those kind of practical, like live projects that are around us that can help you see see this in a completely different light. Because I think we are so used to see, like 
to engaging with fashion by going to the high street but actually if you see it growing or uh, connect, creating jobs or it's like a completely different way of seeing stuff I think that's where similarly with like the work we've been doing in Leeds Rob that sense of like how can you look at your city differently in this in this sense and because like you've been drawing a lot on the heritage as well yeah no definitely I mean Patrick's picked up already on the you know the the importance of of kind of textile history to a place do you know what I mean and that's very very much true in Lancashire and, and Blackburn and, and very much so kind of here in 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 Leeds and and Yorkshire and, and we yeah one of the main themes in the, the Leeds Fashion Futures work has been about looking looking at the past and it, I mean Leeds you know I've learned loads in terms of the the the, the great history that there is and, and what you know it's made Leeds the place that it that it is and I suppose I, th I think it's important for a few reasons really one is that some t at, at the moment you know it, I, I very much believe we've got a climate emergency and there's loads of <laughs> there's loads of things we really need to kind of sort out fairly quickly but that is that is very disconcerting for people do you know what I mean and it's sometimes we kind of freeze when we don't know what to do when we're when we're presented with something like that and we found it quite useful to kind of take a step back to then start taking a step forward again to try to imagine how things could be in the in the, in the future by looking back and thinking well you know if it's the story of Montague Burton who came here in in 19, 1900 as a 15 year old then within four years we're setting up his first shop and then two years later set up what would become the biggest factory you know clothing factory in the world I think it was at one at one stage you know looking back to that and 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 what we can learn from that how can we then kind of reimagine a different kind of future for for, for clothing and textiles that has got sustainability kind of at, at the heart of it so I think I think that kind of I think it matters from that perspective I think it's also just helped us have more broad conversations with people because I think people just really quite they, they they like talking about their city and they're they're, they're proud of the you know the, the the past that it's had and then that can give us the kind of opportunity to then talk about things like you know how might we um you know kind of make our clothes in the future look after them better and that kind of thing so it's, it's definitely it's been I mean, to be honest, quite surprisingly, really, it's kind of surprised me how useful it's been to, to look at that kind of tra tradition to then, you know, look, look to the future. Well, I think it provides a really obvious blueprint for how things can be. And I, I remember I was having a conversation with uh, somebody not that long ago, possibly a journalist about, you know, about our model, about slowing down, about making, you know, having a having fewer but better things. And they said, well, you know, how, how, you know how's that going to work? How can you keep the economy going? Well, I said, well, you know, we had a perfectly thriving, almost self-sufficient local clothing industry until quite recently. I mean, we didn't invent synthetics until the 1950s. You know, we didn't, there was, you know, everything was made out of natural materials. We did it, you know, up until the, the end of the 70s, the end of the 18th century, I mean, most of the UK was largely self-sufficient. It wasn't until we started importing huge amounts of cotton that we went away from using wool and linen to make our clothes. I mean, it wasn't, it's not beyond the, you know, the realm of man to imagine, you know, recreating something that looks far more like what we did in the past. And, you know, most of the practices that, that you guys are talking about are practices that almost every household in Britain was was part of i mean i'm you know i'm not that old and i remember glass milk bottles and rinsing your milk bottles out and you know reusing yogurt cut i mean everything in the hat every every 
everything that we had in the home was seen as a, a fairly precious resource. And it's only in the last 30 odd years that I think we've got to a point where we just see everything as being disposable, our clothing included. And, and, and I think we've got lazy, we, we've got used to the convenience of it. But again, I think there is something, you know, it makes you feel good. I mean, I collect, you know, I collect all my food waste and I compost it. I'm really good about about reusing everything. I mean, our containers and everything I've got, you know, I think, well, well, you know, I don't want to throw this stuff away. How can it be reused in some way within, you know, within my house? Don't pass the problem on to somebody else. That's how can I, how can I use this stuff and get the full use out of it? Um, and again, I think it's, 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 it's very easy to look back at, at, a, at an area like Blackburn and say, well, you know, it was, it was a big linen producer. We used to grow a lot of linen here. We used to grow a lot of woe. We used to make a lot of textiles. We used to make a lot of clothing. We did all this stuff here. And, you know, and, and, and the UK economy was big and thriving in that period before there was globalized, you know, manufacture of all of these products. Um, but of course, you can't. You, you, we're not going to turn the clock back. But I do. I agree with you that there's there's really useful local historical precedents that that allow people to see. You know, I think I think just 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 showing people simple ways in which they can behave that change things for the better. I mean, we do it a lot with work. You know, we you know, we, we we're starting something big here with community clothing, or we hope we're starting something big. But you know, I always talk to the team about what are we going to do this year. I mean, we don't we don't need a million customers this year. We need a hundred customers, and next year we need two hundred. And break break everything down into little steps. And you know, once you do that, every step becomes very manageable and very imaginable from from ordinary people. And I think what your you know your 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 philosophy is 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 great because you know. If we can make one easy change that makes a difference, we'll do it. If we feel overwhelmed by the scale of the changes we need to make, we will probably, as you say, be fairly paralyzed. But you know, make a couple of small changes this this week, and then you know, if that goes well, make a change, then make another one the week after, and eventually you'll have kind of transformed your you know your sort of home economics and your 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 way of life in a way that's really will will make a massive difference, especially if you know, everybody in a city the size of Leeds decides to do it. No, you don't, you don't, right. And I think, I mean, that's why, again, one of the changes that we we made last year in our work was to try to to think about the work we were doing around waste and particularly around clothing and then think about what what can be the, the social benefits out of that. You know, how, how can people, you know, feel feel better about themselves or or save some money or whatever it might be. And, and that's how we, we ended up setting up the, the, the school uniform exchange project which is something i remember going to as a kid i mean oh, yeah. all my school <laughs> yeah. uniforms came yeah, yeah. from a school uniform exchange i never had new school uniform but again you know the mm -hmm. blazers i had were i mean actually my, my secondary school was a harris tweed blazer which looked mm -hmm. like about 75 kids had worn it before <laughs> i got to it but it was great because i was only going to use it for a year or two and then it was going to move on to somebody else but you know the jumpers I wore to school were, 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 were natural wool. There was, you know, there was quality built into all of this school uniform then that meant there was value in, in, in keeping it circulating through. But um, and that's, you know, you're absolutely right. And I think that's been, what's been interesting with, with the uniform is that, that, that there is it, is, it is cheaper now without a doubt. And there's all sorts of negatives in that. 
as well. But one thing we realised was that we we needed to basically set up exchanges where people gave it away for free because a lot a lot of it doesn't have a great deal of kind of you know inherent monetary value if you like. Mm-hmm. But it, it is really valuable to you if you're a family again, particularly over the last twelve months. If you're kind of struggling financially, finding it difficult to find a uniform because I mean shops were closed for mm. for months as well last year. You know, we, we found it re- really useful to kind of set that up. But you're absolutely right as well. I mean, often we are we're almost kind of reinventing things that were a social norm 30, 40, 50 years or whatever, but we've got to kind of reinvent them for for, for yeah. today. And technology yeah. allows them to run better. I mean, there are loads yeah. of you know, I, I'm a great eBay shopper. Um, but there are loads of other, you know, other platforms that, and I think what was interesting to me about eBay was eBay started off as a, as a, as a, as a brilliant way to, to trade secondhand product. And I think the success of Amazon made them slightly doubt their value to the world. And they sort of pursued a path of selling new product. And in that, in the sort of vacuum that was created by, by eBay saying, well, we're all about selling you new stuff and you know the marketplace is fine, but we're all for new stuff. All of a sudden you've got loads of people like Vinted and Spock and you know all these newer kind of more fun looking, more you know, apps aimed at people of uh, uh, you know, younger people that have come in and, 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 and cleaned up. And, uh, and, and I think it's, you know, it's um, technology allows us to do some of this stuff you know the swapping of clothes and other bits and pieces in a way that's really easy it, you know you used to have to wait for the scout jumble sale that was, would happen twice a year before you could go and do it now you can do it you know you do it sitting on the bus on the way to work yeah it's kind of re- yeah it's like say reinventing these things for for the the era we're in now um it feels like both of you have been talking a lot about quality and value around like what we're valuing. And it's interesting, I think, increasingly that connection between value around nature and local areas. Because we, I think, again, we've become quite disconnected between that, between where our fibres come from and where uh, our clothes come from. But also the kind of quality of material and what that means for the life of your clothing. I get, that seems like a big focus of the work you're doing in community clothing. How can people kind of look for, for good quality? Well... Uh, I mean, I get into trouble because, you know, I mean, I, I, I studied material science at Leeds. So I, I, I studied, you know, I studied polymer science and, and, you know, and I know that, you know, there are very durable synthetic textiles. You can make synthetic textiles that last a really long time. They're chemically very inert. They're, you know, they're, abrasion, you know, abrasion resistant. But the whole idea of moving to synthetics in the first place was not about, making clothes last longer. It was really about making clothes cheaper. And and the problem we've got is that most clothing that's made out of synthetics is also made in the least expensive way it can be made. And, you know, consistently people are trying to find ways to shave money uh, uh, off the cost of manufacturing and not just off the textile side, the dyeing side, the, uh, the finishing side. I mean, all aspects And people are looking at, you know, trying to squeeze cost out of the whole thing you know there are ways of making things that are that are that are good um i mean my personal feeling is we we should be trying to avoid using synthetics in clothing where we can um largely because it's you know it's not going to biodegrade um i i think there are it's quite a complicated picture that you have to look at 
Uh, I mean, certainly virgin synthetics feel like there is, you know, there is a there is a growing kind of momentum against virgin synthetics. But obviously, there's a lot of people using recycled synthetics, which of course, you know, have some value. But the, the energy cost in creating recycled synthetics is more than the cost of creating virgin synthetics. So you've got, you know, a CO2 kind of problem around recycled that, you know, there's no, there are no simplistic answers to all of this. I mean, my personal view is I would rather wear wool, I'd rather wear linen, I'd rather wear cotton. And, um, and I know that when you make really good quality textiles out of those materials, they will last a really long time. I mean, there's a, there's a 3,000 year old linen shirt in one of the museums. <laughs> and there's, you know, this stuff can last if it's treated well. You know, I've got lots of clothing in my wardrobe that was either my dad's or my grandfather's or older bits of clothing that I've bought. You know, I've got woolen coats that are 150 years old, still in beautiful condition, really wearable, lovely bits of clothing. Um, clothing that will, you can wear a lot, you can wash, you can repress, you can put it back into shape. And also, you know, at the end of its life, you've got some really valuable stuff there. Um, you know, we, we're, we're going down a path where they, you know, Fashion brands are using using technology to strip cost out where they can. You know, now we're in a situation where, you know, you buy a T-shirt from Community Clothing. It's you know, it's made out of a kind of two hundred gram cotton. You know, if you weighed one of our T-shirts, it would probably weigh more than twice as much as the equivalent T-shirt because it's got twice as much material in it. And, you know, there's the other thing is that that. Um, you know, you, you, you can't do this stuff on the cheap. You know, it, it, you know, if you, our sweatshirts are made out of a really heavy quality jersey. You know, it, it's really obvious. I mean, it should be obvious to most people. If you've got a heavy material that's, that's, you know, that's dense and sort of durable feeling, it'll take a long time to wear it out. If you've got something thin and lightweight, it'll wear out quite quickly. So the more, literally, the phys physically, the more material you put into something, the longer it ought to last. I mean, it's the same with denim. You know, you buy denim today that is, you know, nine ounces and it's half elastane and it's not half elastane, but it's, you know, it's, it's got lots of polyester in it. It's got a bit of cotton. It's got a bit of elastane and it feels like a pair of tights. Um, you know, whereas real, real denim ought to be 12, 13, 14 ounces and it will really last a long time. I mean, again, cotton is slightly less durable than some other materials, but you know, you put enough of it in there you know, you also you just enjoy wearing it more. So, you know, this the, our, our view is pretty straightforward. We're trying to make the best quality natural materials that we can. Um, there are pros and cons around, certainly around recycled um, synthetics. But my view is, you know, you 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 you're perpetuating the use of a of a material that was that was um, that 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 will never disappear, basically. Uh, and unless you've got, I mean, honestly, I think some of the uses of, of recycled synthetics, you know, early ones, they were using, you know, taking plastic bottles and turning them into fleeces. And, you know, we know that fleece sheds fibers at an enormous rate, certainly knitted. I mean, there are some stable, stable synthetic fabrics where they won't shed fibers, but, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of synthetics materials where they are shedding a lot of material. And that material obviously works its way into the water systems. It works its way into the air. It finds its way also into the feed food chain and then ends up being a pretty nasty pollutant. And again, it, 
you know, we just don't see that stuff disappearing. You know, you bury it in landfill for 70 years and it's still there. You take it out, you wash it and it'd be usable again. I mean, I watched a fantastic documentary about, about landfill in Britain. And, you know, they were pulling clothes out the ground that had been buried in the 50s, or 60s rather, that, that were in perfectly usable condition. They've been underground for more than half a century. So my view, I mean, I, I, my view is, you know, have, use less stuff use natural stuff and, you know, buy the best thing that you can. And, you know, we have to start, I, I know that for many people, actually, the economic reality is, is that they, they simply just couldn't even afford community clothing. Um, and, and, you know, and there's, there, there isn't very, there, there isn't much more cost we can take out. So there, there will be people who can't even get to that, to that level. But the sad thing is, you know, I think there's a Terry Pratchett quote around it, and it, it was, you know, it's about, it, it was about the cost of boots, and you know, a good pair of boots cost a hundred quid that would last for, you know, last for fifty years. A cheap pair of boots cost ten pounds, but you have to replace them, you know, fifty times during that period, um, and so, you know, the, the maybe the, the needs to be, you know, I don't know how we get around this, but you know, people need to be to be educated on the kind of long run cost of their clothing. But if they think that for reasons of fashion, they're gonna to have to change them every six months anyway, they, then why would you buy quality? Why would you invest in something that's gonna last 20, 30 years? When you think, well, I'll, I'll wanna change it next year anyway. So, I mean, there's, there, there is a lot wrapped up in that kind of quality mm -hmm. argument that needs to be unpicked. Yeah, and it feels like with the synthetics have enabled, in a way, the fashion industry to become what it is now. Like the fact that we've had this, which means it's also distorted what is possible to an extent. So you have the, you can't have an argument where it's like, oh, it's switching out polyester for cotton, unless you look at scale, because you still yeah. can't be reducing that scale. scale yeah. yeah. So it's complete kind of rethink of how that works. And from your side, Rob, how how have people interacted with the kind of quality issue or understanding what they can do to look after their clothes as well? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's one area that we focus on quite a bit because obviously we we've one of the things we've really talked about quite a bit is how to keep your clothes in use for longer. So if you've got if you've got them already, try to keep them longer. And as I say, whether that's you know how, how you wash them differently or learning to re repair them or or whatever, I think that's something we focused on quite a bit. And then I suppose the other thing is is about um, alternatives to buying new. Well, so you know the, the importance of, of charity shops, and I, I mean, I very much take kind of Patrick's point. I mean, I think we are we're both. I think we're probably at both of these university around the same time, and that was a kind of vintage era for me for buying kind of secondhand clothes. Because I think you're right. I think a lot of it from that time was, you know, 1960s kind of good, really good quality kind of certainly men's clothing. Um, but I think I think you know. We're going we, kind to of work with people to 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 look at alternatives to find new, which is why you know the 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 charity shop map and the text you know the textiles map that we've got has been so kind of valuable to people. It gives people that kind of alternative to to to, to buying. But then also looking at things like you know the you know clothing swaps and all that kind of all that kind of stuff. So I think I think our perspective we focused as but expect because we're waste leads. We focused on the perspective of how can we keep more good clothing out of the bin and how can we do other things or the give people other practical alternatives to kind of keep clothing in use for longer either for themselves or finding someone else to to, to kind of pass it on to or, or give it to. Right. We, also so be, give... we mustn't forget that 
giving giving taking clothes to the charity shops helps the charity shops and the charity mm-hmm. sector you know need need this income especially now you know having had a you know over a year of being effectively shut down you know there's lots of there's lots of it might be a bit more bother to take your clothes to a clothing recycle, but it is creating value for people that really need that help as well. And again, that's another way that we can feel slightly better about ourselves. And again, I think a lot of the a lot of the a lot of the point of fashion in the first place is about making ourselves feel better about ourselves, making ourselves feel happier. But and I've made this point before, you know, how can you really feel happy if you know this, you know, if you know about the system you are supporting whereas you can feel really happy if you're making positive choices for the environment and for the planet and 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 making choices that help other people along the way like those people that are you know who who do earn their money from charity shops or who are making money from recycling or upcycling or running clothing swaps or whatever it has, has to be you know those are those are economic activities that do no harm and 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 that is you know we have to have to get into the mindset of supporting you know things that are that are harmless and or or of minimal amount of harm and and that's you know that's quite a big shift i think for people to make yeah and i think it's the way we're giving things that are giving back locally that are really connecting to things as opposed to kind of extracting value but actually generating that in the local area is so important I think that's, I feel like we could talk about this all day. There's so much in it, so many um, so many aspects, but thank you so much for joining us. I think that's all we have time for this, this evening. Um, but thank you for telling us all about the work that you're doing and for particularly thinking about how kind of local action can really connect and create this kind of systemic change that we're looking for in fashion. Um, and it's been a great way to mark Fashion Revolution Week. So if anyone else would like to find out more about what's happening this week, check out the Fashion Revolution uh, website. Um, So those of you who are watching, I hope your conversation has given you an idea of the things that you can do um, and some of the brilliant work that's happening in the UK. And I particularly encourage you to look at the work of community clothing and uh, zero waste leads as well. Um, So the RSA RSA has been working with zero waste leads as part of our Regenerative Futures program, uh, which is exploring how we we can build uh, better and more just systems as we tackle the climate crisis. Um, find out more about the Leeds Fashion Futures work on our website. There's a new blog going up today um, and there'll be more to come in the next few months. And I would love to as well to find out more about the work you're doing, Patrick. So hopefully more to come on regenerative fashion from the RSA as well in the next few months. Um, but that's all that's left for me is to say thank you to both of you so much for joining us. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head to our YouTube channel for inspiring talks, interviews and animations.